Hey everybody, I'm a little late getting the episode out this week, but I thought it was important to get this particular episode out because we have a very special guest, Carr, at Carr Campit on Twitter, from the Friends Against Government podcast. His podcast has been a friend of Tasting Anarchies for a long time, since before Tasting Anarchy got started, I guess, and uh, we really enjoy him, and we really enjoy enjoyed having him on the podcast to share his unique unique tastes with us. So if you're uh, a normal listener to Tasting Anarchy, I hope you enjoy the program. If you are a regular listener to the Friends Against Government podcast, I hope that you stick around for our future episodes. We're going to get in the show in just a minute, but first, a little something Mason and I have worked out for our listeners. Hey everybody, Jake from Tasting Anarchy here. Wine can be really confusing. When you're starting out, it's hard to tell high-quality wine from a bottle of Plunk. It can also get really expensive. Boy, have I found that out lately by looking at my bank statements. I did a lot of research to find a better way to buy quality wine without breaking the bank, and that's how I discovered an awesome website called Last Bottle Wines. Last Bottle Wines has fostered personal relationships with wineries across the world and offer one bottle of high-quality wine a day at 30 to 70% off. When the bottle is gone, it's gone. New day, new bottle, new savings. I recently ordered a Spanish Tempranillo. Y'all know how much Mason and I love Tempranillo. This wine normally retails for $74, and I got it from Last Bottle Wines for only 32 bucks. It's not a wine club, so there's no fees. Shipping is affordable and can even be free. You know Mason and I are always after the best wines at the best price. We want you to enjoy the same deal. That's why we got you this special offer. Some of our listeners have already taken advantage of the deal and are loving the experience. All you need to do is go to lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off your first purchase while helping your favorite Wine and Liberty podcast. That's lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off a delicious bottle of wine at 30 to 70% off. Down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine. Drinking that mess is their delight. When he gets drunk, start singing all night. Drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy with my wonderful co-host, Jake Lindsay, and our special guest, Carr. All right, and Carr, what podcast do you hail from, if they don't know already? Uh, my port of call is at the Friends Against Government podcast, the FAGcast. Uh, welcome, everybody, to uh, swing on by and check out our weird corner of the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is weird, and it's, a, it's a, but it's a great community, and I think that... <laughs> At, I, th- I would say probably 90% of our listeners are crossover listeners. Uh, and <laughs> I then, think like, so. the other 10% are people in my family. So, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. And then, and then me randomly when I download right. an episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, well, you know what? I've, I, I had Mason do the introduction, but I realized that I did almost all the show prep this week. 
Um, so how is that any different than normal? Uh, I guess, I guess it's not that much different, but, uh, this week we're going to do something a little bit differently. Normally, normally we review a wine that either Mason or I picked or both of us picked different ones. Mm -hmm. But this week we invited Carr on because the first time that I was on the friends against government podcast, Carr's wine of choice was both surprising and interesting to me. So I thought that Carr could come on and talk to us a little bit about how he drinks wine. So, Carr, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, right now I've got a nice sunset blush uh, from the Franzia Valley. I think that's in <laughs> eastern France. Uh, and I like to put that over ice and mix it with a little LaCroix. That's my usual, my usual uh, temptation. All right. Uh, so Mason and I went ahead and took your lead, and we both did Franzia with LaCroix. Oh, you guys are both drinking it. Yes. Yep. Well, awesome. Cor yes. Correction here. I am uh, – so uh, for the listeners, we uh, did car shopping today, so I got a little delayed on everything. Sorry, guys. Um, so I'm drinking straight Franzia uh, cab sob. And that's fine. I am, oh, cab sob. That's a great one. Yeah. I am suffering through it. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, really? actually the, the first couple of sips were pretty rough, but, um, it's actually it starting to mellow out. It, I mean, yeah, really like it starts to open up. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, I went ahead and, and picked up, uh, we went, we went over to Kroger and did our normal grocery shopping and, and I went over to the wine section. They had the small boxes and they had on sale the, uh, Franzia dark red blend. Oh yeah. It's 12%. Chillable one? What's that? Is it the chillable one? No, no. Okay. I also saw the chillable one, but I didn't get that one. I just got their dark red blend. Um, so it's twelve percent alcohol by volume, which it must be on the box because I think that's the law. But I could not find it on the box anywhere, so I had to look it up. Um, <laughs> and it is not bad. If if like Mason, if you and I were out barbecuing or something, and you gave me a glass of this Franzia dark red blend, I wouldn't be upset by it. It's a little bit sweet for my taste, and it's not as tannic as I am used to. But mm -hmm. it isn't bad. It's 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 a good table wine, and my God, is it inexpensive? Like it, it is crazy yeah. how inexpensive it is. It's cr it's wild, and yeah. that's and and so and to jump in, that's that's kind of the fire that you're playing with. It's like the it's like the known problem with Franzia is is the sweetness because I think they use that to kind of cover up the fact yeah. that it's not a great wine. Mm -hmm. uh, so my move is I go and I you know and and typically I'll either get it at Walmart or um, the um, damn what is the name of that I don't even remember the name of the store is right next to my house, uh, but they basically rotate through the stock and and you'll get different wines on on deep discount from yeah. even the cheap <laughs> Francia rate. Uh, and then I'll get that and then I'll mix it with LaCroix. And so what I do is I find the three, it's usually two or three that are on a, on a discount. When I say discount, I mean, you're looking at like $12 for, and it's like five, five bottles of wine. And, uh, and they have like, so when you were talking about the box labels, they may not have the alcohol percentage, but what they do have is two little sliding scales. I don't know if you saw this, Jake, but they have two little sliding scales and one of them is yes. for body and one of them is for sweetness. And they're yeah. probably just like a complete nightmare for anybody who is really a big wine enthusiast. <laughs> but I go and I find the three boxes that are the cheapest and I find the one with the lowest sweetness and that's the one that I get. So today, yeah. uh, you know, I had the sunset blush and the chillable red was there, but it was technically more sweet. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, what I thought was interesting about it and I, and my, you know, you can do this with, with graphs. The government does it with graphs all the time is where the high end of the graph is sweet and the low end of the graph is, is uh, dry. But in this case, the low end of the graph is like semi dry. 
So <laughs> so they just all end up being slightly sweeter. And then I actually, when I poured this and took a drink, I was like, oh, this is fairly light body. And then I looked at on the back of the thing and it, and it showed the graph and it was like full bodied. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> I wonder what yeah. the, uh, I wonder what it, what it is normally. So I did a little bit of research though on this. Francie, because I was like, you know, I, before I'm, we dive, before we dive in, Jake, yeah. uh, I told you that I did want to crack my Lacroix oh, live yeah. on air so that oh. I can mix it with my wine and begin oh. drinking. Yep, so go for it. <laughs> and that's uh, that's a little apricot Lacroix. It's going in in the uh, Francie, and we're off to the races. Oh, so you chose yeah. you chose apricot Lacroix. I chose berry Lacroix because I thought it was the most fitting. Yep, um, that's a good one. Uh, my tip, my usual is passion fruit. That's my favorite Lacroix, but okay. they didn't have any. They were out, so I went with uh, so, apricot. I've never had it before, so this is going to be a, this is a new experience. So speaking of all of that, um, I went to the Tasty Walmart. Um, you know, Jacob, as you know, in our area, what is there like six in Virginia Beach alone? Yeah, and then in like Norfolk's got three. So I went to the the classic Tidewater Drive one, which for anybody who's familiar with Norfolk, uh, it is the ghetto Walmart. Um, oh, that, wait, is that the Walmart market? No, no. This one is the – it's a full Walmart. It's not a super Walmart, but it's like just – like it's pretty much the size of Walmarts before they hit super Walmart. Okay. So – this one is like, um, you know where Trilogy Comics is? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, of course. Right there. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the Walmart that's right there. So, mm. you know, that gives you an idea. Oh, you mean you uh, mean the Trilogy the trilogy branch uh, up by Kassam? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because there's another one over by ECPI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, okay. is, this is the one over by where my house is. Equally so, shady. Equally shady. Oh, oh yeah. So, uh, full $20.01. Apparently, I overpaid by $5 compared to Total Wines. Uh, price point um but i now have five liters of wine oh which gosh, they say yeah. is about 34 glasses um i did notice the scales i thought that was great but uh this walmart is so ghetto it did not or the walmarts in norfolk are so ghetto they didn't have any Lacroix, and i could get it shipped to them in two days huh. so that's, that's so why i don't have any sparkling because the other sparkling stuff they had was called bubbly and okay. i I was like, I'm not trusting my life to bubbly. <laughs> now, Jacob, you know what's really funny? What's that? Ashley's mom worked for Franzia for oh, like really? 20 years as a forklift driver. Oh, oh wow. I had no idea. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> so Unloading happiness. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's I did. I did, you know, despite uh, the it, it being the Franzia Valley in France, um, I did a little bit of research, not a whole bunch, but Francia was uh, started by a immigrant uh, immigrant family in California. They they said it was on the on the road up to Sonoma. I don't know what that yeah. means or where that is. Yeah, uh, the the history books are a little bit divided on that. I, I've I've read both uh, accounts, and yeah. and I think that nobody's really been able to settle on on where you know what the exact origins of Francia, whether yeah. it was the Eastern Valleys in France or, or uh, Sonoma. But sure. yes, I, I have sure. heard that account. <laughs> yeah, man, we got to get fat. Lib going, this would have been a perfect, <laughs> perfect <Yeah>. time. <laughs> but uh, so the the company w made popular jug wine up until '77 uh, when they introduced the box wine and that had the stay. The, it's like it's trademarked. It's like the stay fresh uh, tap or something like that on it. And uh, then it was it was sold to the Coca Cola company prior to that in 1973, and then it was sold to the wine group in. 1981 and the wine group is the third largest wine producer in the world wow so yeah they so produce a lot the the wikipedia article for this literally is like three lines <laughs> and you read most of those it's like it, it, it is, it's surprising how little is on wikipedia but they have they have a little like a little story on their website which mm -hmm. I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes which i, I just thought it was kind of fun but car 
It's interesting to me. Did you have a, a a natural inclination to add fizziness to your wine? No, I. Well, uh, you know what? Now that you ask that, that sparks a memory uh, from my college days um, where we did. And I don't know that I've ever put that together with my my uh, habit of doing it right now. But back in my college days, uh, back at uh, Tech, um, we, my, me and my buddies worked in this restaurant. We cooked and. Uh, and so we had co- we had cooking wine back there, and it was like below Franzi. Like it was, I don't even remember the brand. Like it's not a brand that I would recognize offhand. And so we would drink on the job, and in order to do so, uh, you would have to mix the wine with soda, or else it was just completely unpalatable. Like okay. you could, it was brutal. And I mean, I'm saying that as at the time, like a 19 year old degenerate, I I would like struggle to get this. I wonder this if wine this, down. I wonder if it was Thunderbird. Uh, I don't know. It came in a box. It looked like Franzi, oh, okay. but it wasn't okay. Franzi. I don't remember what it was. But so we had a, we had a we had a method. And like when you when you started working there, you know, it was like one of those college restaurants and bars that like the old guard would hand down all the secrets to the new guys, like yeah. you know the younger guys, and then you would pass it on. And uh, so when I first started wor- working there, um, the older guys passed down. It was called well, okay, we had two versions depending on if you were a white wine guy or a red wine guy and one was q and red and one was white and sprite okay and white and sprite's pretty self-explanatory you would take the white cooking wine go mix it with ice and sprite up at the front with the bar gun and then the other was q and red and q was dr pepper on the bar gun so you would mix dr pepper and and the really gross red uh cooking wine oh man i would probably (laughs) like that speaking of dr pepper because i I just got back from the dr pepper museum or dr pepper and free enterprise museum in Waco, mm. Texas, <laughs> uh, which is good. well. The reason so, yeah. I the reason I brought this up is because apparently this is just a spritzer, basically, and yeah. uh, are those usually done with white wine? But it is one of the most popular drinks in the German speaking world, in well, particular Hessian, which I know well, that you are from that lineage. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm uh, I'm of Hessian lineage. Yes, hmm. and I had not actually put that together either. But now that I'm thinking about it, I remember hearing we had like a German dude on our floor. And he would mix together – I don't remember if it was wine or it might have even been beer and Coca-Cola. Oh, well, that's – that's yeah. Well, beer and Coca-Cola or beer and anything sparkly is um, is a shandy. Oh, okay. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I was ever aware of that. And yeah. I tried it one time and like I just don't like sweets all that much. So it didn't – you know, it made the beer worse for me. But it was still like <laughs> I could see why somebody might like it. Yeah, because – yeah. So like – yeah, shandy is, is popular for people who are not really very beery because it's usually like a – it's fizzy, and, or they add additional fizz to it, and it's kind of like fruit juice fizz. Okay, so okay. it's yeah. uh, usually makes it a lot sweeter. Victoria really likes a uh, a shandy. I can't remember what it's called. It's like Schurferhofer or something like that. It's German. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so speaking of German lineage and German shandies, uh, Jacob, remember when I Ashley and I went to uh, Germany for our honeymoon? Yeah. So we went to the beer hall where Hitler did his famous push and then ended up in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, Ashley actually got a shandy because they serve it, and it, it's just it's their standard beer and just lemonade. Mm, that's and it, I mean, it was pretty doggone good. <laughs> huh. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'm glad that Carr introduced this to us, and yeah. uh, let's go ahead and move <laughs> move on to some of the other topics today. So. How did you guys do adjusting to – because today is the first day of, I guess, daylight savings. How did you all mm-hmm. do adjusting to that? 
uh for me I, it wasn't like a big deal i don't think um i, I didn't i don't really sundays i really do try to kind of i did work a little bit today but i really do try to like take at least one day off so it wasn't i, I didn't really have a whole lot planned although i had some like kind of last minute shit for whatever so some just stuff that i had to take care of and and so that was kind of a pain to be an hour back but otherwise it wasn't like i had to like get up for anything yeah yeah, I uh, was behind all day. <laughs> yeah, because the daughter's getting over being sick. And when you have a sick two-and-a-half-year-old, like, you know, it impacts everything. So last night was the first night she slept really well. And we were like, oh, she's sleeping in so great. And then we looked at the uh, time, and it's like, oh, no, she slept to the normal time, right. <laughs> even with the spring forward. Crap. <laughs> well, that's what, you know, this morning, Victoria woke me up at 8.30, and, and we forgot that it was daylight savings. But it was 8, 8.30 according to our phones. She was like, oh, Foxy wants to go out for her walk. And I was like, all right, it's 8.30. I, but I felt tired. I was exhausted. And... I was like, all right, well, I guess I just am tired and got up, took her for a walk, came back. And then uh, actually, I think it was yesterday that I saw this, but I was reminded by it because somebody hearts hearted it or liked it or whatever on Twitter. I don't know what they call it there. And uh, and it was a, a retweet of Andrew Yang. Um, he's one of the Democratic hopefuls. Uh, and he retweeted a article about how awful daylight savings time is for people. <laughs> and both of you, well, Car, you from our group chat, and Mason, you from just knowing me for 10 years, know how much I hate daylight savings time. And it's your only plank on running for dictator of Earth, I think. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I have heard that. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, I feel like this has come up on a previous episodes of Tasting Anarchy. It, and yeah, I will I will plug myself here as probably one of your most consistent listeners. Outside, maybe, maybe your family is more consistent, but I, <laughs> I swear to you. Uh, I have listened to every episode pretty much whenever it comes out since, it, it, you know, for the last like eight or nine months, oh, except for, <laughs> except for, and I said, I said this to Jake when he came on, except for the classic episodes that I've been routinely avoiding. <laughs> oh yeah. The classic ones are, they can be rough. Some, some of them are really good, but it has, it has it has absolutely nothing to do with whether they're good or bad. It's just, yeah. it feels that it's like, it's old news. Oh, so yeah, I just yeah. like, it's a mental thing. I'm just like, nah, yeah. it's probably, yeah, they, they are I, I would have heard if anything, <laughs> you know, anything came up from it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So anyway, so he brought it up and they went through, I'm not going to go through all of them because Mason, you and I actually did this extensively with the, one of the episodes where my mom was on. I think several uh, times. Yeah, where I just kind of went over all of the terrible things that daylight savings does. You, it 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 increases heart attack risk. It makes people uh, get in car accidents more frequently. It costs the the economy like eighty billion dollars or something crazy. I don't know how they calculate that, but in like lost sales from donuts and lost sales from breakfast foods and things like that because everybody's late. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you know and. They had that sleep expert guy on Rogan a long time ago, and he was talking about it. He was like, "This is it's it's really dangerous because it increases a lot of risks for various health ailments and stuff like that. Because if you're not getting the appropriate amount of sleep, you you do have this very high risk of these different things." Mm -hmm. And um, so I just so I tweeted on Twitter, or I, I retweeted Andrew Yang, and I was like, "Is it possible that a far leftist has inspired me to vote?" <laughs> and because because he he his post was something along the lines of like he's like when i when i'm president i'm going to make it uh part of my platform to remove daylight savings time nationally i was like oh my gosh if it wasn't I'm for in. yeah if it wasn't for like the bombing and like all your social programs and all that sort of stuff I'm, i'd be totally for this guy <laughs> this, this it's interesting though 
it's interesting to think about like what is anchored to time specifically mm-hmm. like not not in terms of time as it moves forward but like certain times like it, it, you know what would be disruptive if, if if you know you think it's eight and it's and it's actually seven or something like that yeah mm-hmm. and as we move forward like and just f- for instance like a, a huge thing is the stock exchange oh, I mean, yeah. and that's like a big business mm-hmm. but you know Recently, we've seen, uh, and I guess foreign exchange has always been somewhat like this, although they do close and open over the weekends, but like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, it never closes. And so it almost doesn't matter what time it is. Right. And, and you know, and as, as people do move away from strict nine to five W2 jobs over the next three decades, two or three decades or whatever it is, um, you have to wonder, you know, how much yeah. it it's going to matter. Well, really. and this is kind of the point I've made for a long time is that for the people where daylight matters, it doesn't matter what time it is. Right. And, yeah, and for right. the people where daylight doesn't matter, adjusting the clock doesn't make them work differently. Right. Sure. So yeah. like, so daylight savings time to me has never been relevant. Like if you adjust the clock, a farmer's not getting up earlier or later to go feed the cows or whatever. A farmer gets up when it's daylight. That's how, right. that's how they work. And mm-hmm. Uh, and for like, you know, I'm a developer. It doesn't, it, it's irrelevant to me if it's light out or not to, for me to go to work. And right. so adjusting the clock doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. And you know, this, I believe at daylight savings time, and I haven't, I haven't done the research in a long time, but this was like instituted by the Kaiser in world war one, I, I think as like a way to save fuel. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the war effort. And then. And then it turns out that it doesn't actually help, and it was just like a bad calculation or something like that. But everybody else in the war adopted it as well in an effort to save fuel, and it just kind of stuck. That's so lame. Yeah, yeah, it's like a weird, a weird thing. Yeah, it wasn't adopted in the United States until the Standard Time Act of March 1918. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. World War Wilson. Mm-hmm. Fucking Wilson. God <laughs> damn it. Yeah. Oh wait, no, hang on. The idea was unpopular, and Congress abolished. Oh no, they did, and then he they overrode his veto. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, and then Roosevelt. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I know that that like the argument has always been, and I know that like I guess Benjamin Franklin proposed it way back in the day because he was like, mm-hmm. we should we should adjust the clocks to save daylight, and everybody was like, that's stupid. Like, who cares what time it is? Yeah, I mean that's I I think that's I, my ultimate thing is like it it doesn't matter what entity like what quantity you assign to something like yeah. that sun is going to fucking keep doing whatever it's doing the earth is going to keep doing whatever it's doing yeah. let's just do what we do. Right, exactly. And you know kind of to, to tie this back into like a into like a wine thing like for a vintner who is growing grapes all he cares about is the number of hours of sunlight. He doesn't care if the number of hours of sunlight are between 8 a.m. And you know, six PM or whatever. It's just, it. It doesn't matter what the measurement is, as long as the measurement is consistent. And by just and by adjusting the measurement to add an hour to the end, like p- remove an hour from the front and add it to the end. Wh- why is that relevant to anybody? Like, it's so weird. And and I got some pushback in our chat about this. It, and this is one of the first times I've ever got it because most of the times when I bring this up, people are like, "Yeah, I guess it is kind of dumb." Uh, there was like two or three people in our in our chat group who were like, "No, I like daylight savings time." And I couldn't tell if they were just trolling me or if they were if they legitimately liked it. I was like, "Why? Why would you like this? It doesn't make any sense. Just adjust your schedule." But through the conversation, it kind of occurred to me that as a developer, I I can I do have a little bit of flexibility in adjusting my schedule. Now, I guess when I when Mason and I worked at the same place, I didn't. But uh-huh. uh, it was it is it was kind of nice to have that extra daylight at the end of the day because. 
during the winter time when you and I worked together, Mason, there were a lot of days where I never saw daylight for several weeks at a time. Yeah. And like you have the windows in your office, but that doesn't really count because like you have to go out into it. So like, right. I, I understand people who, you know, kind of like Carl was saying, like where time isn't necessarily super relevant to them mm-hmm. who just kind of, you know, roll out and they're like, okay, you know, I get up and go and do stuff. But like one of the things that I always find interesting about this conversation is like, you know, China has all one time zone. Well, see, you know, I'm opposed to time zones as well. Well, so am I, but like China has one time zone. So can you imagine like how much it sucks to be in like Western Western China and like yeah. have to try to call Beijing. Well, <laughs> see, but the like... thing is, like, this is what always bothers me about time zones as well is the the idea that you can't just go like, oh yeah, that's right. In California, they don't work nine to five; they work, you know, t- ten to whatever, ten to six or mm-hmm. something like that. Like, why why can't you just make that? If you can make the mental jump that three o'clock is a different time in California, why can't you make the mental jump that they work a different schedule? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Also, to that that is pretty wild about China, but also isn't basically like ninety nine percent of the Chinese population essentially along the coast. I think uh, it's I think it's something like th- that. It's pretty. High. I, I think it's less now because of some of the big cities they built in like the more in the interior area, and like that's certainly you know probably probable. But like you know they have their army units that are along the Indian uh, border. You know, like right. all that like stuff that's where like. It's just so interesting, like a concept. Like Russia's got like seventeen time zones, and China's like, no, we got one. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like you're like, oh, I've got to call Beijing for the morning announcement. You know, like nine thirty in the morning, like, and you're like, <laughs> you're getting up, and it's like, you know, three technically, like yeah. from the like true sun time. It's like, what the crap? Right. When you look at when you look at the density map, yeah, it, it is pretty much concentrated all in like in well, not only all along the coast, but also like very very dense in the southern i guess southern mm-hmm. provinces mm-hmm. i mean between there. shanghai and hong kong yeah. it's got to be that's got to be a and and they're outliers you know that yeah. met, those metro areas like that's got to right. be such a huge part of their population oh yeah oh, it's, i i it would be I'd like to visit there one time just to see it because, like, I think Dallas is too crowded and Dallas is not that dense. <laughs> so, mm. Like, but I don't know. It, it is interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, like them having one time zone, I can see it. Like, for certain things, it would be kind of a pain in the butt. But for the most part, I don't think – I think most – particularly from in a society that is full of entrepreneurs, an entrepreneur would realize his staff needs to work the, the appropriate hours, not necessarily – hours as it relates to something on the east coast for example mm-hmm, mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. i guess if they're working in finance or whatever they want to be open during the stock market and stuff like that but they can also do and, and to car's point the way that we work is changing a lot like the you know the job i have now mason is so different than what the type of job i had when i worked with you in that uh-huh. it, it is incredibly flexible like i went i went down to the texas version of the dmv or whatever it is it's not the dmv it's like the department of safety or whatever and kind of was nervous about asking for the time off just because of my experience at, you know, my old job. And I was like, uh, I'm going to come in a little bit late because I've got to go down to the DMV. And they were like, okay. I was like, is that going to be a problem? Do I need anybody to monitor my, my job queue or anything like that? They're like, no, 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 just just take care of it when you get back. It's not a big deal. Why? It's like, why are you telling us this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically, that was it. They were just like, they were just like, well, does your team know? And I was like, yeah, of course the team knows. And they were like, oh, well, you, you don't need to let me know. I'm the CEO. Like, okay. <laughs> well, I always, the old CEO at my old company, I told him everything. So 
<laughs> and they were like, well, we don't, we don't really care. We, we, we trust you. We, we trust that you can take care of your own schedule. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I mean, which is just a great, you know, just, uh, I mean, I think everybody goes through it where you get where you get out of college or you get early in your career, whether you know college or not, and you you really just got to grind to like oh, yeah. learn and to like get up over the bow wake of like because when you, early on in a career you're learning so much, you're not just learning your craft, you're learning how to professionally interact with people, you're learning what certain boundaries are and and so on and so forth, a lot of intangibles that you know maybe aren't as easy to list, right. but. Uh, at some point, like it's like, guys, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, just, I, I got to bounce here to take care of some real business that I have that, you know, during working out because, uh, you know, for a DMV visit or a post office visit, it's like they're opening the same hours that you work. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, but uh, speaking of uh, being an entrepreneur and working and all that sort of stuff. So, Car, you're, you're kind of an entrepreneur, a free spirit. And one of the things that you're involved in is Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. that is something that Mason, I don't think you're that that into Bitcoin. And I am certainly not that into Bitcoin. So I've got kind of one in particular question for you. And that is for gold and silver. Actually, Mason, you are not a gold and silver guy either, really. Yeah, because, you know, from a historical, well, I am from the what has government done to our money standard. But I think if you want to use it as a medium of exchange, I don't care. Like, I mean, if you want to trade pencils as your medium of exchange, I don't care. I'm not going to like I'm fine with whatever you want to change for medium of exchange as long as you'll take whatever I've got. Okay. So well, kind of what I'm your Franzia box. <laughs> well, kind of what I'm extrapolating from this is like for gold and silver, like I understand the value of that as far as mm-hmm. its industrial use and its ease of divisibility and and things like that. Uh, from Bitcoin, it's not that I that I don't understand its value. It's it's just for whatever reason it's confusing me. Carl, what do you what is it about Bitcoin that is valuable to you personally? Oh, well, I mean, to, to relate it back to uh, kind of gold and silver, and maybe I'll back up into why I got interested in it in the first place. But, um, you know, gold and silver are historically were very, very sound stores of value. And therefore, it made that, that among, among, you know, many other reasons made them very valuable uh, or a great uh, money, you know, Um but ultimately what would happen is that their sheer volume or the fact that you had to physically hold it and secure it and and guard it um, led uh, to a lot of centralization because, you know, it was just flat out easier to leave your gold or silver in a bank and and then just sign over certificates between people when you're exchanging currency and just say, OK, well, um, the ba- this bank needs to uh, update their ledger to say, that now this ounce of silver belongs to Jake instead of belongs to Carr. Um, and Bitcoin, in a lot of ways, just uh, is a n- better financial technology because it does not rely on that. And, mm-hmm. and it, re- it it can help you keep sovereignty over your own money. Right. Um, and, and that's that's the thing that's intriguing to me. Not only that, I mean, there's there's a lot of things and, and it being the the security layer and having the ability to build on top of that protocol just opens up so many doors like it, it, it's just it, like we're just such at the tip. This is the tip of the iceberg. Oh, yeah. like it, it's It's really, really, really incredible what can be done that nobody's even thought of yet. You know, it, it's just it, it's very, very interesting. Uh and uh and yeah yeah i mean the ability like if for instance uh, i could not um you know in 1995 i could not get 
uh, graphic design or website built um, mm-hmm. from somebody living in China or right. uh, or Iran uh, because I could not physically pay them, and now I can. And and not that not to say that that's particularly. I'm not going to say it's not useful, but it's like you might say, well, I, you could get anybody to build your website or whatever. But my my point is that this opens up doors that were not open with gold and silver. That's that. I guess that's true, and also. The, the idea, like Iran was, I think, a good example of that is that the United States has kind of a banking freeze on them and they don't, they block a lot of our websites and things like that right. in the United States. That is, it's sort of nice to be able to, I guess, cross those borders in a secure fashion. And that that's all, that's kind of the value that I see in it is the encryption, is that the security not being able to see, I mean, you, and, to some degree, we they can get around this and, and eventually and see it in other ways. But like to see that you're paying this guy in Bitcoin, those coins are not traceable, or they're very un, or it's very difficult to trace them. With you know, and mo, and the whole low hanging fruit theory and stuff like that is that why would they trace that when they could go trace the dollars or euros or whatever? Um, so I do see the value in that, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Do you? And I got a little bit of pushback on this in the chat because again. I just got the uh, the Bitcoin Standard book just so I could understand this a little bit better because in the chat I was curious about it and said, well, I can see this as a means of uh, registration of property, physical property, because that's kind of – I think that's the hurdle. And uh, Car- correct me if I'm wrong. You started out kind of as a Peter Schiff guy and then sort of went away from him and it seems like it's a lot of the stuff that, that when I hear you make comments on him, it's a lot because he's very anti-Bitcoin. Yeah, I would say that I'm still very I, I'm still a fan of Peter Schiff. Like yeah. I, I think the guy's great. His dad was a hero, um, but I used to be like a daily listener of of his podcast, mm-hmm. and and I still would be were he not to have been picking every other day to just talk about how dumb Bitcoin is. Yeah. And it's not the fact that he's saying it's dumb; it's the fact that he's coming up with dumb reasons and the same ones over and over again. That sure. I that and 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 truth be told, they're the same reasons that I didn't get into Bitcoin at first. I was a gold guy mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, it's just internet money. Like what if somebody just makes more Bitcoin, you know? And, it, yeah. and it's like, I, then I went and investigated it because as a libertarian, especially of, you know, roughly our age, that was like, if you were on Reddit or any libertarian circles, uh, you were hearing about it a lot. And I was like, well, you know, it's kind of a lot, it's, it's a lot of fairly smart people. I feel like, like why, ha- if it's, if it's as simple as somebody could just print a bunch, you know, quote unquote, print a bunch of Bitcoin and ruin the currency. Why are these guys so obsessed with it? Right. And then eventually I started reading about, it. I was like, Oh, holy shit. Like this is a whole thing. Like this is, this is way more than, than what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And Peter Schiff never took that extra step to actually really investigate why he could be wrong about it. Right. Um, and that, that became, it became frustrating to just hear him rail about the same arguments over and over again. I want to hear arguments against mm-hmm. Bitcoin, especially within the Bitcoin community, because I, I steel sharpen steel. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if this, what, if this is what we think it is, we better get it right now. Right. Um, and, and that means eliminating weaknesses. Uh, but I can't, I can't listen to an old guy say, what if just, what if people print more Bitcoin over yeah. and over and over? Again? Well, and actually, honestly, that's one of the reasons I don't listen to Schiff as much as I used to either. And kind of my breaking point on Schiff was I heard him debate a Bitcoin guy and it was clear to me in the debate that Schiff didn't understand it as well as he thought he did. And then mm-hmm. I, and I heard subsequent podcasts where it was clear to me that he didn't try to understand it. That's my frustration. Yeah. That's my frustration. Yeah. Is that he didn't, tr- he didn't try to understand what, 
what it he wouldn't allow himself to live in he, he wouldn't allow himself to take the other side of the argument and try to and try to like you know when you're debating you almost want to be able to take both sides and understand both sides arguments and he would not he would mm-hmm. not allow himself to take the other side of the argument in order to better understand it and it became very very frustrating all of that said like i said i still really like shift yeah, I mean, yeah. He's, he's he's awesome but, I, I just, and, and i still i still listen to him at least two or three times a week but a lot of times yeah when he brings up the bitcoin stuff i'll kind of skip through it but i think he has mm-hmm. a keen market insight um and although he's been predicting the collapse for you know the last yeah. six years or yeah. whatever and it hasn't happened but uh, only six years <laughs> oh, well i mean he's a perm he's a perma bear and but yeah, yeah he, but then yeah, again yeah. i'm a perma bear too like i how long mason you and i have known each other for 11 years how long have i been predicting the market's gonna crash so 15 yeah oh yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and i think that that's why I, I saw somebody comment i can't remember if it was in one of the group chats or on twitter but like talking about zero hedge which is another like i i read zero hedge from time oh, to time yeah. i used to read it a lot uh but they they said something like yeah zero hedge is great they've predicted all 300 of the last one collapses <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's actually yeah. that's exactly that's what it is about zero hedge. Yeah. It's like everything, every article you read is like things are go- everybody's dying tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah. Anyone, I think I think at, Mason, at some Mason, point, you and I still read zero hedge almost every day. <laughs> and- I, it's not that I read zero hedge ev- almost every day. I read zero hedge multiple times a day. But the thing is, like, I stopped clicking on their main economic articles. Like when there's like some sort of bizarre statement that like Trump has made that I don't really understand. Sometimes they'll have a recap article. I'll read those when they're talking about like the, you know, like there's an Ethiopian air crash recently. Um, and they started grounding, uh, China started grounding these Boeing planes that there was. Like I'm sure Zero Hedge some, has some sort of conspiratorial argument that China is going to ground all these planes and force them not to fly as retaliation to the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, nonsense like that. But like you can gain a lot of just general news that I don't see otherwise. Yes, but yeah, and- their their economic news. I'm like, eh, you well- know, if I listen to this, I'd be eating dirt in a hole so right right eating. right and i think that's the that's the thing with zero hedge is that and, and i'm not trying to bag on zero hedge because i i really do like it and it's probably the only site that you can really go to for i don't know as long as you filter it and just remember that yes not everything is crashing down tomorrow it's mm-hmm. the only site that you can go to with very high level market information that is a little that is contrarian nobody right. mm-hmm. no other site right has writers that understand markets at that level that that I've seen um, that consistently puts out content like that. Um, so long as you go in just saying, okay, like, you know, it, you know, understanding the zero hedge bias a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, and I think that that might be, although I think there is a natural inclination for like free marketers or just uh, like libertarian and caps or agorists or whatever to be contrarian because the system is so intertwined with the government that yep. I think we naturally are just going to be like, yeah, it's not, it's, it's going to collapse or what we're, we're naturally going to be contrarian. But on the other hand, like I do, I always see, I always try to remind myself of this, that the market is so strong and so resilient. I should have more faith in it than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and that's, that's that, the thing I, like I always question the 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 reporting on the Great Depression. Yeah. Like I understand it was very bad in many places, um, but I always question if it was as bad as people make it out to be because like they get the they get the solution and they get the ending of the depression wrong so much. It's like yeah. 
Was it really that bad? Well, you know, right. I, I've talked to my I, grandma yeah, about that. Great, but yeah, I, I've <laughs> talked to my grandma. People are going to look it. back on um on like oh eight and oh nine, which was really. I mean, that was pretty bleak, but it wasn't like yeah. I mean, it was, I, I, it was I remember. Bad, I mean, but, I remember but, sitting in in the break room at my work, watching the market crash, and going like, "Wow, this sucks. I might be losing my job." And I didn't. Yeah, yeah. And but fact, a lot of like, people did. The company grew a lot. <laughs> That's true. Well, it, it did. It grew a lot, but in a different way. Like you know, one of the big things that, that our company, our, our former, or my former company, your current company, Mason, uh, faced was a lot of. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of profit being made in those overnight sweep accounts mm-hmm. that evaporated overnight, and mm-hmm. and our boss had to reevaluate his. Um, decisions as a as an entrepreneur and as a business owner because he was relying so heavily on getting you know several thousand dollars a night in these microscopic amounts of interest um which then became you know what's what is smaller than microscopic subatomic so yeah so like (laughs) yeah i mean it was like they were getting like you know like one percent or two percent but on like you know a hundred million dollars or something like that so they were getting quite a bit of money on interest and then all of a sudden it went down to zero Mm -hmm. and he had designed a lot of his business around the idea that he was getting this income nightly and that was gone in one night well not one night it was actually it was gone as soon as the fed opened up and started lowering interest rates again yeah uh but yeah it was that was i mean that was a shock to him but yeah you're right though a lot of businesses they had to reorganize and outsource and when you outsource you hire people to do certain jobs and the company that we worked for they did those those jobs of outsourcing so, uh, I mean, you know, kind of to go back to the Great Depression thing that you were talking about, Mason, like I talk to my grandma about this all the time and I, I really want to have her on the show and she's coming out to Dallas in a couple of months. So I'm going to see if I can maybe, she doesn't, oh, yeah, well, she doesn't drink and neither does my mom, but I was kind of hoping that maybe I could have her on to talk about how much she hates FDR because she does and, <laughs> and has talked about it multiple times. Like I've talked to her, like, I remember doing a book report on FDR in like, in like fourth or fifth grade. And the, and one of the things they wanted you to do was interview somebody who's a primary source. And I asked my grandma, I was like, hey, do you want to be interviewed about FDR? And she sat there for like an hour telling me how much her family hated him and how he made everything worse for them. And and that the depression wasn't that bad for them. They were doing okay, but they were poor. And people who were poor were just doing the same as they were always doing. And that they didn't have any money and, like, her mom had to go work and stuff like that. But, like, he was not a good guy. They really were very suspicious of all the social programs he instituted and all that sort of stuff. And this is from a working class, maybe slightly higher educated because her father was a, was a teacher, but he was a high school teacher or the equivalent of high school back then. So it was he wasn't like a college professor or anything like that. He was he was a, a drunk gambler most of the time, and he was a teacher part time. But, <laughs> well, but you know they were they were all very much against him. It's funny when you go back, like the older generation to us, Jake. I I, I think we're about the same age. I think you're a little bit older than me. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm thirty. But, I'm thirty one. I'll be thirty two yeah, uh, next month. Thirty. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm the oldest. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, Jacob, well, uh, you and I were born in the same year. So. <laughs> Are you guys 87? 87, yeah. Yeah, 88. Uh, but it's – but I my, so my dad is very old and his dad was very old. And that's just kind of like a thing in our family is like just having kids really, really late. And so my grandma was born in like 1906 or 7, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she she passed when I was like – yeah, I don't know, maybe in third grade or something like that, mid nineties or late, I'm sorry, that's way out. Yeah. Late nineties, I guess. 
Um, and, uh, but I remember, you know, her perspective now that I look back at it is so different from the boomer perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the one thing that really, I, I, I didn't know much about her politics really because I just wasn't old enough to consciously absorb that. Yeah. Um, but I remember the one thing that really pissed her off. The only thing that I really remember of her, her politics was, was Waco. And oh, wow. it's so funny to look back on that. And that was her thing. She thought it was horrendous that the government would go in and do that. And I was like, man, looking back, I'm like, man, that is really, really like she had some insight there mm-hmm. to to, mm-hmm. to know that. And like she didn't grow up with, you know, the the all the intense propaganda that the next generation did. I got, I, you know, and who knows what all had to do with it, but she went through the great depression and all that shit. But she, uh, I, I wonder what her thoughts are on FDR. I'm, I'm sure probably not great, but judging on <laughs> the Waco deal, yeah. but I remember that, that she, that was something that she would bring up and she didn't bring up politics, but yeah. that was, yeah, her, that she thought that was awful. Yeah. I, I, you know, that'd be interesting. I wonder if maybe I can, if I can get my grandma to talk a little bit about, about Waco also. Cause like that was a lot of stuff. Like I was, I was vaguely aware of Waco when I was younger and I'm, I'm much, much more aware of, you know, Waco, Ruby Ridge and the Oklahoma City bombing, all those types of things that were happening when I was young. Um, mm-hmm. now and I have a very different perspective, but I'm that my perspective now is, is severely, severely tainted by my worldview. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> So you and, mean it's just right? Well, I mean, this is <laughs> I, I'm trying really, really hard these days to uh, – I do believe I'm correct on most things. But I'm trying really, really hard to like – for a good example of this is like Dave Rubin. Mason, you and I were talking about this when he had that guy Tim Pool on. Mm-hmm. I was so tempted multiple times to just turn it off <laughs> because like he, he irritated me so much with uh, yeah. like some of his like – his inability to reach a conclusion and then go to the next step that I think is a logical step because his so Carr, I don't know if you know who Tim Pool is. He's a, he's a journalist. Yeah, I've seen him pop up. He's a guy that wears like the beanie. Uh, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that, yeah, that that's yeah. actually one of the biggest problems I had with him is that he wore a beanie <laughs> to every single one of his interviews, and it's the same <laughs> beanie. And I was yeah. like, why are you wearing a beanie inside? If you're bald, that's okay. Just you know, to shave your head or something. Or like, I, it's not a big deal. But the beanie in indoors bugs me. But but that aside, he does this thing where he's like, uh, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And and he'll kind of like go through it where like the government caused all these problems. And this happens a lot in, in our circles. Then they get to the point where they're like, and so now we're at this really, really bad point. So we need to invite the government that caused all these problems in to regulate it. Yep. Yeah. Like he, he had this thing where he's like, laissez fair capitalism did this. And it's like, no, that's never been done. Like it. It, there's a mountain of evidence that's against it. It's like the same thing with Jason Stapleton. Like I like Jason Stapleton for his like positive vibes to people, like, you know, better yourself. But like you say, Jacob, like when he can't just make the logical step of like, oh, government regulation bad. Like it makes all these problems, but we need some government regulation. It's like, hmm, don't think so. <laughs> like it caused all these problems, man. Right. Well, speaking of yeah. government regulations, I've got another article for us tonight, uh-huh. and this relates, Carr, to your old stomping grounds, not North Carolina, but Colorado. Okay, yeah. Um, so as as hopefully the listener base knows and you know everybody in the country knows, Colorado was the first state to legalize marijuana mm-hmm. for, for recreational use. And uh, a lot of – at the time – Mason, you may remember this, and Carr, I'm not sure how interested you were in it when it was happening. Mason, you and I, when Colorado legalized, we were both very interested in it. 
Oh yeah. I'm surprised neither of us have gone to Colorado specifically for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And actually I I go to Washington almost every year and like I never do any sort of recreational drugs. Like I guess it's just not part of I don't know. It just doesn't matter to me. But um I guess cuz you know, we're so anarchist Mason. <laughs> That we just don't care about the law. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so Colorado, they legalized marijuana, you know, way back when. And one of the predictions was that this was going to severely hurt alcohol sales. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently, I think Washington was the next one, then Oregon uh, the same year. Uh, and then, you know, many other states after that. So I think it was, it was uh, Washington, Oregon, and Colorado were the first. And the prediction was that the legalization of marijuana would end up hurting alcohol sales tremendously and it turns out from a recent study from uh well it's the article is from cnbc so take it as it is uh but it's the title of the article is marijuana hasn't hurt booze sales in three states where weed has been legal the longest study says so uh i'll go ahead and summarize the article article real quick and we'll talk about it so this is industry observers expected that marijuana legalization trends in the u.s would hurt liquor sales but a new study from a trade association says it hasn't been in uh, it hasn't been the case in the three states where weed has been legalized the longest. That is Colorado, Washington, and Oregon. Um, and here's a quote from David Oz- Ozogo, uh, chief economist for Distiller Spirits Council. He says uh, the trend in alcohol have been fairly consistent regarding uh, or regardless of whether or not you have legalized recreational marijuana in states or not. Uh, so to kind of dive down into that a little bit, this is this is my summary of the article, everybody. So uh, so beer, beer and spirit sales increased in all three states. Wine sales were a little bit mixed. Uh, in Oregon and Colorado, wine sales were up, but in Washington, wine sales were down. Um, so it's interesting that the wine industry overall in the three states has grown, though, even though domestic consumption of wine in Washington is down. So Washington is exporting more wine than ever. Oregon is exporting more wine than ever. More vineyards and more exports have happened in Colorado. Colorado is not known for its wine, but it's it's got a growing wine industry. And um, their their wine exports and their just wine production is up overall. They do a lot, Mason, uh, a lot of your favorite varietals, uh, Pinot Gris and uh, Gervutsterminer. I think is how you say it. Gervetsaminer. <laughs> Close, yeah. yeah. So they do a lot of German varietals, the high altitude, cooler climate varietals. They do very well there. Um, so anyways, it says, overall industry trends uh, trends remain consistent according to the council, which uh, did the study. And that was unexpected amongst opponents of legalization of marijuana, particularly opponents from the alcohol industry. So I think that's very interesting. Um, I believe Mason, you and I back then talked about it a little bit and we said, maybe, maybe we didn't say it, but at least I said what I was excited for was for THC infused beverages to enter the market and kind of replace certain types of alcohol that end up uh, not being really very good for people because mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's part of like human instinct that they want to get fucked up basically. Yep. Uh, Every culture has something that they do to alter their consciousness, and there are some that are very good. You know, a lot of the Slavic cultures, they used, um, you know, the red and white mushroom caps. Those are deliriants. So deliriants are Mm -hmm. basically food poisoning. They'll hurt you. But then, like, other cultures use 
psilocybin mushrooms, which are not that bad for you. You can take those, but some of them have uh, poisonous aspects to it as well. The alcohol itself in small quantities can be very beneficial, but in large quantities, when you really want to get fucked up, it's not good for you. Um, mm-hmm. and, no. And so in my mind, what was going to happen is that Colorado was going to legalize. They would introduce these new THC-infused beverages. They would be very, very popular, and you would not have as many people dying from alcoholism. But according to this article, it doesn't appear that alcohol sales are down. And I don't see that as a good or bad thing. I just see it as an interesting thing. Do you – I guess, Carr, you're from Colorado. Do you have any thoughts on that in particular? Yeah, I I mean – um, I think, I think there's a, I think there's a couple ways that you could look at it. And, and it's, so when you're looking at uh, statistics like that, and especially in a state like Colorado, and I can't, I won't speak for Oregon or Washington, but mm-hmm. just the one that I lived in, um, you know, Colorado's population is pretty low. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's less than the Metroplex that we live in now, Jake, like it's, oh, it's wow. about two thirds of that. I think it's about five million, five and a half. Oh, I, it's, you know, I never even, I never even considered that for some reason. I thought Colorado was a fairly big state. No, it's pretty tiny I, outside of Denver, Colorado Springs and Fort Collins. There's just not a lot of people there. Wow. Okay. And, and even Denver, I think Denver proper is about 700,000, probably about the size of Fort Worth. Hmm. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a, uh, it's a really, really small place. And, and in addition to that, it's a very, very big, uh, tourist like vacation place. Um, I, I wonder how much of those alcohol sales come from tourism and I wonder how much tourism increased based on the weed, you know? And yeah. so, so like there's, there's other th- kind of things that you would need to, to factor in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, and then, and then also I'll add that while weed was not legal in Colorado prior to weed being legal in Colorado, weed was basically legal in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, Colorado. Yeah. Like I think Denver decriminalized at, at some absurd date. Like, like when you look back, I want to say, and I, and I don't know, uh, but I, when I lived there, I remember that, that people would talk about De- Denver decriminalizing like in the nineties, which is like yeah. a- outrageous. I mean, you know, it was so, well, it, um, it wasn't, didn't Alaska try to legalize like not, not like way long time ago, back in the nineties as well. Like, yeah. And I think there was a big surge in the nineties for yeah. that kind of stuff. Cause I and, think, uh, that, I think in even, even in Alaska, it was just kind of like everybody's sort of like, eh, you know, there's not enough people here for it to matter. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's yeah, well, to, to a large resources. degree. That's to a large degree. I think that was. Now, don't get me wrong. You could still go to jail, I'm sure, and you could get fined, I'm sure, and all that. And and so, despite the fact that I know that there's like a autistic screech for no legalization, just decriminalization. Like, yeah. bottom line, people are not going to jail for weed anymore in Colorado. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm sure there was that, but. You know, I looked it up. 19, it, it, 1975 in Alaska it was decriminalized. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, for for whatever feelings I have, uh, the the fact that the the fact of the matter is that I I don't really think that there was a major shift in day to day activity and lives of people between. Yeah you know pre pre quote unquote legalization and post legalization it was just that you could go to the store to get weed rather than your neighbor mm-hmm. right right so, yeah, yeah so, so. i think this is one of those like things where um people often kind of try to take the measure like you know oh if you're gonna drink you're only gonna drink whereas mm-hmm. like you know most people who like do cocaine it's like they're drinking they're doing cocaine they're doing other pills yeah like if i could smoke a joint and have a beer i might well, you so know, that's know. interesting, right. Mason, because one of the things that 
I haven't brought up yet is the uh, Cannabis and Wine Colorado Tour <laughs> is a thing. Yeah. So there are a lot of people, and what they do is they bring you around from the various wineries. It's mostly in the southern part of Colorado. And uh, you tour the wineries, and you also tour the local weed. So yeah. it makes and sense. I, and I think one of the things that, like, so if you think about it this way, too, like, Somebody who's a, like, it's like somebody who drinks wine. You get people who drink wine who are like us where, you know, we'll drink most wine types and experiment with them and, and find out different wine things to enjoy. But we do have our preferreds, like if we're buying for ourselves. Yeah. Like until like you get a highly developed weed market, people are just buying weed, like whatever you can get. Like, you know, like when alcohol was legal or illegalized, People tried to get the most potent alcohol, but people still had like preference for vodka and things like that. Like people, you know, like the stevia, not stevia, but like the uh, different like sativa, the different styles of marijuana and things yeah, like that, yeah. that you get. Like, I think that's one of those things where it's like people who drink are still going to drink. It's not like you suddenly had people who are like, oh, like weed's legal now i'm never drinking again like now there are some people who you know may have been drinking to self-medicate that now use weed to self-medicate and stuff but yeah. i really don't think it's like one of those all or nothing solutions right so, yeah but. yeah I, I agree with that and also and just to, to tie what you were saying into what i was saying if you just look at it from the perspective of the average colorado resident they were doing all of that in 2005 like right. they like <laughs> they were just getting it from a different place. They were getting, mm -hmm. you know, the, even the prices kind of didn't change. I mean, they, I, I feel like they probably came down a little bit, although truth be told, I moved there. I actually moved there right after the vote. Um, and right as it was being legalized. Uh, so I never, I, I actually have never bought pot illegally in Colorado. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, just from, you know, living my life, like the, the prices are great, but not like, it wasn't like a crazy change. And so people were in the only thing that changed for the average resident was probably where they got their weed. And yeah. that may not have even changed because now they legalize, they legalize growing it at the same time. So yeah. like where I live, my next door neighbor grew it in his garage. I mean, just like as a hobby. I mean, he was like, he, he worked for Comcast and you know, and I, uh, we'd go play like baseball together every now and then like a, a pickup league. And, you know, I mean, he was just like an average dude, but he was like, ah, oh, fuck, I mean, it's legal now. I might as well just like grow some plants yeah. in my garage. I, I would probably so, do like, that if it was legal would, in Texas. He would, he would come over and, 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 uh, you know, we would watch, I, I had a kegerator at the time, like a little, you know, fridge kegerator. And so I always had beer on tap and, uh, he would come over like on Sundays, we'd watch baseball and he'd just, you know, bring a big nugget over and, and that was like, that's what I would smoke that week. Yeah. You know? So it was, it, it, I don't think a whole lot, changed necessarily in terms of consumption it was just where did you source it from mm -hmm. right right that may and that makes sense to me a lot like one of the things that about the wine and beer markets in general is that and liquor market is that they're much more developed markets and so i think it's going to take a lot long you know this is a is a very different position than i probably would have taken when weed was legalized not that i was opposed to the legalization but just that I had kind of a different idea of how it work, but I think that it takes time. You know, you know how like, uh, so I remember picking my grandpa Jay up from the airport when I was in high school and telling him about my trip to Britain. And I was 18 at the time. And I was like, you know, I went to Britain. I was able to have some beer and all that sort of stuff. And I remember him just, this is like my only memory of this grandpa because I didn't spend a lot of time with him, but I remember driving him in my truck and him going like, I'm a bud man. And I like bud. 
and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep drinking Bud. And I was yeah. like, I was like, all right. And he's like, once in a while, I have a finger of of, of whiskey because my doctor says uh, a little bit of whiskey a week's good. So just to be safe, I have twice as much as what he tells me. So, <laughs> uh, and you know, he was a kind of a rough and tumble guy, but I just didn't know him very well. But that's like the only memory I have of that particular grandpa. And it's a developed market. You're not gonna have anybody like. You're not going to have anybody being like, I'm a THC infused, uh, you know, Clementine juice man. Like, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like he might end up being that, you know, at some point, you know, in his life. But like, yeah, there's just not, you know, it takes a long time for you to get the market share in order to have people to have that amount of brand loyalty. Well, yeah. Like- it also you also have to think like you know it's very hard like you you go into you know the varieties of apples mm-hmm. like um you know they have like pink lady apples which is a specific variety of apples that's copyrighted and everything like that mm-hmm. but it's really hard to like weed is a like a weed it's very hard to like grow consistently you know the same one so like yeah. establishing a brand like that plus jacob apparently the um the fda's one of their moves Mm-hmm. against uh weed if it you know became like to try to crack down on it is to go after those infused drinks oh really yeah huh i i, I see that's that's interesting because like i was super excited about those infused drinks because you know that nate and i well maybe not nate but my my consumption of choice is edibles always mm-hmm. uh and so i was always thinking that like some sort of infused drink would be perfect yeah that that's very upsetting to me. Well, I, I, I didn't know my that. plan sky high moon pies. That's true. Yeah, I I would be all about that. You know the only <laughs> sky the only, high moon pies. Oh man, yeah. you know car Mason and I have so many great ideas for uh weed products, edible products, mm-hmm. uh popcorn, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um Man, Mason, we we've got to go. We got to go through some of these. Maybe I should, maybe I can pull it up on my uh on my G drive. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Please, please do. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we, we've got we've got a lot of really good ideas for it. Um, but Car, why don't you take it real quick? Because you and I are trying to put something together here in the well, it's not even the DFW area; it's just the Central Texas area. Oh yeah. You want me to go into Childerberg real yeah, quick? Yeah, go into Childerberg. Tell yeah. me, tell me what you expect Childerberg to be, because I want to know if it's in line with like what I think Childerberg is going to be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I first of all, I'd, I'd like to point out that it's a uh, it, by the by the grace of God, we met each other and both had interest in Childerberg because yeah, um, sometimes like so I have good ideas occasionally, but sometimes the follow through isn't there. And uh, Jake, you've been taking this with a tenacity that I don't think I would have approached it with. So I think the combination of us is 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 hopefully going to push something across the finish line here. But um, basically, uh, my vision of Childerberg was to was in a lot of ways it mirrors a lot of my vision in the libertarian community in general and and the liberty community in general is that we want to bring people in rather than push people away. Um, and there's always going to be small problems that everybody has with each other, but it's better. It's, it's just, sometimes it's just better to focus on the, on the good things. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean that there is no place for purity testing. That doesn't mean that, um, you know, somebody that comes in and, and is promoting violence, you know, violence say should be accepted under the umbrella. I'm not saying that necessarily, uh, but just having some time set aside where we can just come together and hang out and, and not be at each other's throats. And so also, so that, that whole idea, I wanted to mate with the idea, um, 
of opposition to power brokers mm-hmm. uh, across the world um, that, you know, famously meet up in a conference called Bilderberg in early June of every year. And they have done, as far as we know, since I think after World War II, the 40s or maybe 50s. Um, and so we named it Childerberg. And that's just, and you know, it's just supposed to be a weekend where a bunch of liberty-minded folks, or at least friendly folks, mm-hmm. come together, uh, camp out, Drink some beers, drink some Franzia, uh, maybe, hey, maybe smoke a little pot. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not making yeah. the rules here. So you do but whatever no, you do. But no do. liability. No liability. No liability. <laughs> Cocaine, bath salts, fine. It's yeah. good. Um, and, uh, you know, camp out, camp out and, and just uh, get together, get to know each other and and, uh, and have a good time. Yeah. And that, that's more or less kind of what I was thinking. So we're going to try to set this up in, well, we're not going to try. It's going to be in uh at a campsite uh, on Buchanan Lake, there's actually two campsites that I'm looking at right now. Um, there are a number of wineries around Buchanan Lake. So we're going to see what all of the people interested in, in Childerberg want to do. But I was thinking maybe we would try to get a van to drive us around to the wineries if people are interested in just trying Texas wines. Texas wine is different. Um, and, but I think very good and, and unique there, you know, people don't know that Texas makes wine and there is a lot here that is very good and I'm very excited about it, but I, I agree with Carr. I think this is going to be a really good opportunity. If you're a minarchist or an anarchist, or you don't like, if you don't like ANCAPs, you like agorists or whatever the deal is, if you are a a liberty minded individual, then you're welcome to come. Actually, even if you're not a liberty minded individual, if you're peaceful. Yeah, if you're peaceful, come and hang out with us, and yeah. we're gonna have a good yeah. time. There's there's a lake. It's got great swimming. It's gonna be June. June in Texas is hot, but it's not so hot that it's going to kill you. So there'll be it's great. It's great swimming weather. It's great camping weather. It's great wine drinking weather. It's great beer drinking weather. Um, we're working on some people who maybe will be interested in bringing down some of their beers. Uh, I've got somebody who's possibly interested in bringing down a food truck at least for one of the days. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on. I think it'll be a lot of fun, and it's a good opportunity to just meet people in the, I guess, not even Central Texas. I guess it is Central Texas, but I'm sure that we'll get some people up from Houston. We'll get some people down from Dallas and Fort Worth and meet up in Lake Buchanan, which is only about 45 minutes away from Austin. And uh, already I've got commitments from, like, Mr. Sue, who he's going to come. And so we've got a lot of people who are interested in it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, at least as far as people who are, have expressed interest, I mean, I bet that number is damn near 30, 40 maybe. Okay. I mean, I, I have heard a lot of people who are interested. And uh, and then I, I won't name who it is be, just be, because business and politics and whatever, but we do have a brewery who's interested um, in – possibly doing something yeah. so uh that that that's really really cool i've chatted with the guy he's, he's seems like a great dude yeah. um and i think he may try to make it down for one of our fag cast meetups or fag meetups or whatever we're calling them down oh. in the in dfw like that we do on first thursdays so mm-hmm. um i i'm looking forward to that yeah uh so yeah yeah i mean the, the it, i think the the allure of the first one is just that it, it, it's gonna be the first one it's gonna be a good time but i hope to do it Yearly, and I mean, if the first one goes off as well as I think it's going to go off, I imagine that it's something that could mm-hmm. build some major support. Because who does who doesn't want to go and hang out in the hill country, swim in a lake, mm-hmm. drink wine, drink beer, and just hang out with 
with some like-minded people and even some non-like-minded people as long as they're friendly. And, and I mean, I'm sure a bunch of us have special others that are not necessarily quite as on board with um, our particular brand of insanity as we are. And so I'm sure there will be people there that are not, you know, anarchists and minarchists, you know, that, yeah. that are that may be something quite opposite. So, but but as long as everybody's friendly, as long as everybody's peaceful, hey, man, it's a, it'll be a good weekend. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And that uh, reminded me, too, is – uh, last Thursday, so this is a good another good plug, I think, for... Um... Well, hang on, hang on, before oh, ahead, we get off ahead. of this. Yeah. What are the dates we're looking at? This uh, let me pull it up real quick, because I always June, forget... June 7th, I think, is our I think that you're right. Deal. Yeah, it is June... 8th, sorry. You're right, so it's, it's June 8th and 9th, so um, we'll be camping on the night of the 8th, and then we'll probably be leaving on the 9th, which is Sunday... You guys are welcome to stay at the campsite as long as you want or as early as you want. Uh, they do have electricity. They also have – well, both both campsites. So I've got two. I'll announce the actual campsite that we're talking – or that we're going to stay at. Um, I've got two. They both have RV parking. They also both have uh, the type of camping that I'm interested in, which is um, – Although, actually, I'm going to try to bring my wife, so maybe we'll be doing RV camping as well. I'll rent an RV. But uh, they, they also have, like, stealth camping and or like, not actually stealth camping because you got to pay for the site. But uh, they have just, like, regular camping with no electricity and no sewage. Uh, there are uh, toilets on site, so you'll be able to do that. There is fresh water on site, so you'll, you'll be able to have that. And there are a number of wineries in the area. Uh, and then we will also try to um, – you know, we don't. I don't know exactly what we're gonna get yet because I. I also don't know what people are interested in, but uh, I would like to have some sort of food option there, a food truck, and I would also like to have some sort of beer option there, either a beer sponsor or just in, people interested in selling beer. I know that there's a lot of uh, legal stuff on that, so as of right now, it's bring your own food and bring your own beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there should be the the one thing that I'm going to I guess go out on a limb and guarantee at this point is that there will be van service to the three wineries at least on Saturday. Nice. So yeah. that is so, what will be there. And uh I will be attending from Virginia, so that will be fun mm-hmm. and a good chance. Are to you coming into town, Mason? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So it'll be my oh, yeah. first uh intentional trip to Texas. So that'll be good. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. And maybe we can convince Bird to come down here and check it out because uh, I hear that he's interested in leaving New York. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, through word on the word on the street, word on the internet street. Well, yep. so I will put the call out. Um, I'm also going to try to uh, – let's see if we can try to talk the uh, our friends with Sounds Like Liberty to come down. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Lizzie likes Texas. Uh, I, know, I think Nikki might think it's too hot, but <laughs> maybe we can get them to come down too. Oh, and then uh, I think the plan is there's going to be a lot of podcasting happening too. Yeah, so, exactly, um, yeah. If you've got a Liberty podcast or you want to launch your Liberty podcast, uh, come join us. Yep, and there is electricity. So if you bring your equipment. Um, I am more than willing to let you borrow my equipment, but my equipment is not great. Uh, so, uh, my portable equipment is not great. My, my, my at home equipment's okay, but, uh, my portable equipment's not great. But if, if you, uh, need to borrow anything, then you can reach out to me, uh, tastinganarchy at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at tastinganarchy and we'll work it out uh, to where you can use my equipment. That, that would be fine. Um, oh, Jacob, yeah. we're also going to be doing a special episode of ours specifically. Oh, yeah, for sure. We are going to do the $1,000 bottle of wine on that. Yep. 
Well, uh, yeah, a yeah. uh, thousand. Yes, exactly, a thousand dollars. So we'll we yeah. we will do a a one thousand dollar bottle of wine on the episode, and so definitely catch that episode. I think I think Mason, you and I are both in a position where we can splurge on half a bottle of a thousand dollars. Yes. <laughs> uh, After Jackson tells us what to buy. Yeah. So <laughs> let, let's close out on one last thing. So mm-hmm. uh, this is also promoting something else that Carr and I have been working on in the Dallas Fort the Dallas Fort. The Dallas Fort Worth <laughs> Metroplex area, and that is our, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, it is Liberty on the Rocks. So, yeah, uh, if you guys know the Lions of Liberty, they have Liberty on the Rocks that they do in, uh, down in the L.A. area. We are doing one in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Our last meeting, Car, you weren't able to to attend. It was a great meeting. We we didn't have a huge number of people, but Luke and Wednesday came out, and we had a lot of fun. The uh, one of the brewers at Turning Point Brewing. Uh, said that he would come on Tasting Anarchy, so I'm going to try to have him on to interview him. He knows a lot about the Texas uh, regulations on alcohol, so I think that's going to be a really interesting episode. But if you guys are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, keep an eye on uh, Car's Twitter. Car, you're just at Car Campit, right? Yep. Okay, so at Car Campit or on my Twitter uh, or Mason's and my Twitter, at Tasting Anarchy. Uh, and... We will announce the next one. It's the first Thursday of every month, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. A lot of people show up. I know, Car, you weren't able to make it last time, but um, I, I make it whenever I can make it, and we do always have people there. So uh, the first meeting was great. This was the second one. Car, do you have any other thoughts on that? No, man. It sounds great, and I'm glad that we found a little bit of a home at, at uh, Turning Point. And that's awesome that you had a conversation with the guy uh, that yeah. owns it. I wonder, is he the contact that the other brewer gave No, you? no, he's not. So, Oh, okay. So Luke... I'm not gonna. Go, I don't. I don't. I'm not gonna go into what Luke's last name is. But Luke and him went to uh, school together. Oh, okay, okay. And so, but he and he's a minarchist, he, you know. But he's very liberty oriented. Really interesting guy. He and I just talked about his beers. So one thing I will. This is not really a caveat, but it's one thing to let everybody be aware of. One thing that Turning Point is well known for is very high ABV beers. So the beer that I had, the first one that I have, Mason, I texted it to you. It's twelve point five percent alcohol by volume. Uh, yeah, that's... that is really high for a beer. For, yeah. for a wine, it's about normal, but they do serve it in the, roughly the size of a wine glass, and uh, they do have a they have I think three beers that are under eight percent. So uh, if you are looking for a slightly less alcoholic beer, that's fine. When we went there, this was pretty cool because they had two beers that they had not even bottled yet. It was just only available on tap. It had come out the day before, and that was neat. There's like a pretty good sandwich shop in the uh, in the like parking lot area, and there's a subway right there too. But like this was like a local sandwich shop in the parking lot area. They say they said that they also have like uh, food trucks occasionally. And also, you know, any outside food is welcome. So if you guys want to come out, hang out with – Car Campit, the famous Car Campit of the of the Fagcast, <laughs> and uh, me, <laughs> uh, which you probably already listened to his show because of my show, or well, my show because of his show. Uh, <laughs> it would be great because we're we're trying to get some sort of liberty gathering going, and just to sort of have you know some some sort of community here. I think I think it's a lot of fun. You know, Mason, you and I for a long time had a community going on in Virginia Beach uh-huh. in Norfolk, and it's been. It's it's been a while since we had that community, so it's kind of fun to have that community start up again here. Yeah. All right. I think yeah. I think that's all I've got left to say. You guys got anything else you want to do? I, I know, Car, you you probably got a couple things you want to plug. 
Yeah. Wait, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? My internet's kind of crapping out. Uh, oh. Just plugs if you got something to plug. Oh, I can't. I, yeah, you guys are chopping up right now. Well, I'll plug it for you, Carr. So, uh, Carr is from the Friends Against Government podcast. You can follow them at Fagcast on Twitter. You can also follow Carr at Carr Campit on Twitter. His, uh, I guess, co-host is um, at Bird Arcus on Twitter. It's a really great show. Uh, they, it, it's, it's really, it's just very. Very casual. They occasionally will get into the politics, but it's, it's just a lot of fun and really funny. Uh, so if you want things to get weird, Fagcast is where you should be. Giddy exactly. up. Yeah. Giddy up. Love it. All right. Uh, Carr, if you can if you can hear me, why don't you do your closing for our show? Oh, all right. Well, uh, everyone, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. And until next week, keep two hands on the wheel. All right. Stay free, everyone. Stay free. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking half gallons and calling for more. Drinking wine, sport, you to drink wine. Wine, sport, you to drink wine. Wine, sport, you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for you to drink wine. Bop, bop. Wine for you to drink wine. Bop, bop. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine.